0: I asked you all a few weeks ago in a social media post what case you would solve if you could, and boy did you answer. I am as interested in each of these cases as you all are, so let's check out where they stand and what each of them needs to see justice roll like a river. Hey everybody, welcome to The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison, and I'm so glad that you joined me for more stories from the world of true crime. Let's join forces to answer what I think is every Christian's calling, and that's to be a different kind of PI, a person of impact. We'll learn a practical way to do just that after we dive into today's cases. This is Season 3, Episode 36. We're going to talk about the disappearances of Maura Murray, Clea Shindra Hall and Jody Husentrout, as well as the murders of Libby German and Abby Williams, which together have been called the Delphi murders. And we're going to look at the death of Patty Adkins. Clea Hall was 18 years old when she disappeared on May 9, 1994. She was ready to graduate from high school in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. She had just attended her prom, a sorority ball, and celebrated Mother's Day with her family. She was so excited because she had set up a summer internship in Boston, and she'd be heading off to Tennessee State University in the fall. She was scheduled to be in the school's pre-med program, pursuing her dream of becoming a pediatrician. Her mother Laurel dropped her off at work the morning of the 9th, and then waited for a call later in the day telling her that Clea was ready to be picked up. She never got that call. Laurel called the doctor that Clea worked for at home, and he said that Clea had clocked out at 8.30 p.m. and was picked up by someone that he didn't know. Her family hoped that she had just gone somewhere with a friend and had forgotten to tell them. The police would not take Clea's mother's missing persons report. They said that she would have to be missing for 24 hours before her disappearance could be reported. Now. Please listen carefully. If you ever have a missing loved one or know someone who does, you need to know this. No state has a law that requires a 24-hour waiting period. So if any law enforcement officer tells you that, ask to speak to someone else. An early suspect in Clea's case was an unnamed local boy, but police interrogated him and searched his vehicle and never charged him. Of course, the doctor that she worked with would be a person of interest as well. And it doesn't appear that authorities were ever able to tie him to Clea's disappearance either. Every year, her family releases pink balloons to symbolize the fact that they will never, never stop trying to find her. And I want to read a quote here from Clea Shindra's mother, and it's from her page on the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. We're still searching. It's been 26 years, and 26 years is a long time not to know anything. If we could just get one tip, one clue, we might be able to break the case open. And that right there is exactly why I highlight these cases, why I share them with you and hope that you'll share them with others. So please check the show notes and you can find out more about Clea's case. And I've put contact information there if you know anything at all about the disappearance of Clea Shindra Hall. Maura Murray's case has gotten a lot of attention over the last 16 years. When she vanished on February 9th of 2004, there was no Twitter and there was no YouTube. Facebook had actually launched just five days before. So we didn't have what you see now when people go missing. We didn't have social media dedicated to getting clues and helping families find their loved ones the way we can set up now. 2020 did feature Maura's case, and so did episode six of the first season of Disappeared. The Oxygen Network produced a six-part television documentary on her case also. dozens of podcasts, YouTube videos, and blogs have talked about her disappearance as well. But none of them has brought forward just the right information to solve this mystery. You probably already know that Maura was a 21-year-old nursing student when she vanished. Three months before she disappeared, she started having some issues that really are pretty common to a lot of young adults. She was facing charges of using a stolen credit card, she had a sister who was struggling with alcoholism, and she had wrecked her dad's car. On the day she disappeared, she searched for directions to a couple of locations in Vermont, emailed her boyfriend, and made a phone call asking about renting a condominium in Bartlett, New Hampshire. She also emailed her work supervisor that she was going to be out of town for a week because there'd been a death in her family. But her family says that no family members had passed away. Maura made a couple more calls, packed, and left campus around 3.30 p.m. She drove to an ATM to withdraw some cash and then stopped at a liquor store and bought some alcohol. She also picked up an accident report form for the wreck that she'd been in. Now that step doesn't sound to me like someone who's ready to run away from her life. She was trying to be responsible. The last recorded use of her cell phone was at 4.37 p.m. when she called to check her voicemail. Roughly 150 miles away and just over two and a half hours later, Mora was involved in another car wreck. A nearby homeowner called 911 and then a passing school bus driver stopped and offered to call the police. He says that she begged him not to. He went home and called police anyway and noticed that several other cars had passed by the scene of the accident. Another witness told police that she passed by just after 7.30 p.m. and saw a police SUV parked by Morris' car. Now, official police records show that officers didn't arrive on the scene until 7.46, and that all just brings up more questions than answers. Is the witness mistaken? Or was that SUV from another jurisdiction who just happened to be passing by. Is the official record wrong? Whatever time Haverhill police officers responded, by then, Maura was gone. Had she been offered a ride from someone? Or been abducted, maybe? Taken away in a vehicle that passed by? The crash was severe enough that the airbags in Maura's car deployed. So that kind of makes me wonder, did that leave her with a traumatic brain injury that caused her to maybe wander off get lost and perish in the frigid nighttime temperatures? In the tears since she vanished, police have conducted numerous searches, as has her father Fred. Last year, bones were found about 25 miles from where she vanished, but forensic testing determined that they weren't Moras. Just this past July, authorities conducted a ground search of an area located off Route 112 in the towns of Landeth and Easton, New Hampshire. It supposedly was in connection with Morris’s disappearance, but they haven't released any further information publicly. If you have any information that can help Morris’s family find answers, I've put an email address in the show notes, as well as police contact information. I've made some changes to my website that I want you to see, so please go check that out. You'll find all my podcast episodes there, blog posts, my merch store, and a place that you can listen to the Expand Your Impact Summit recordings. You can join my email list and the membership zone where you will get exclusive content. You can also learn more about booking me as a speaker. There's a link in the show notes to my homepage and you can explore from there. Since I grew up in Indiana, this next cold case that many of you want to solve is really close to my heart. Plus, it involves young girls, and I can't think of too many more populations that are more vulnerable, especially with social media the way it is today. On February 13th of 2017, Liberty German and Abigail Williams took a hiking trip together at the abandoned Monon High Bridge over Deer Creek near Delphi, Indiana. School was out, And the girls were only supposed to be hiking for just a few hours. When several hours passed after the girls were supposed to meet one of their dads to be picked up, the families called police. Sadly, Abby and Libby's bodies were found the next day, just a short distance from the bridge. They were found on property belonging to a man who was initially a person of interest, but he has since passed away. And of course, like most teenage girls, Abby and Libby took lots of photos as they hiked. And they were so smart and so brave to have Libby use her cell phone to capture a short video of the man that police believe killed both girls. Authorities have received thousands of tips in the last few years, but no one has been arrested in connection with Abby and Libby's deaths. In 2019, police surrounded a man suspected in a kidnapping and rape who also happened to be a person of interest in Abby and Libby's case. After an hours-long standoff, the suspect committed suicide. At least five other men have been closely investigated with no charges being brought against any of them in this case either. But recently, police have focused in on a new person of interest. His name is Keegan Anthony Klein, and he's from Peru, Indiana, which is less than 40 miles from Delphi. Klein is currently charged with dozens of crimes that include child exploitation, possession of child pornography, child solicitation for sexual intercourse, and obstruction of justice. It's important to note he has not been charged with anything in connection to Abby and Libby's case, but police say they have connected him to fake social media accounts that he used to catfish young girls. Now for any of you that aren't familiar with that term, catfishing, it's when someone sets up an account, usually with a fake picture and fake details about who they are, so that they can solicit either money from people, or a lot of times, pedophiles will use them so they can appear to be around the age of their intended victims and either solicit nude photos or try to set up to meet with them in real life. The Murder Sheet podcast received an anonymous tip indicating that Klein is associated with a fake profile, Anthony underscore shots. A police interview with Klein was accidentally posted online, indicating that Klein told police he had communicated with Libby on the she and Abby were killed. He allegedly searched, how long does DNA last, on his computer. And the interview indicated that Klein had failed a polygraph. Now, obviously, Libby and Abby, they didn't know who Klein really was. Libby had that trusting nature that so many of us have at that age. She didn't do anything wrong. She just didn't have the life experience yet to recognize a predator. Within the last week or so, the Indiana State Police have been searching a section of the Wabash River near Klein's home using what seems to be metal detectors and scuba gear. Now, this search may have been prompted by the unsealing of documents in one of Klein's child porn cases, and they showed that Klein allegedly communicated with Libby shortly before she and Abby were killed, just like he had told police. He's not been publicly named as a suspect in the Delphi murders. But if you know this man, or if you've communicated with someone online using the screen name Anthony underscore shots, please contact authorities. I've included links for you to do that in the show notes. Somebody knows something that can break this case wide open. If that person is you, Please, come forward for the sake of the German and Williams families. Let's get justice for Abby and Libby. Jodi Hoosendrew was 27 years old when she disappeared, and she's been gone another 27 years now. Her case has one of the best website resources I have ever seen, complete with its own podcast dedicated to keeping Jody's case in the public eye. On June 27th of 1995, Jody was running late for her job as a news anchor for KIMT, the CBS affiliate in Mason City, Iowa. She told a colleague that she'd overslept, but she would be in soon. Jody never arrived at the station. Worried coworkers contacted police, who went to Jody's apartment to check on her. Her red Mazda Miata was still there, and there was some evidence that suggested there had been a struggle near her car. A bent car key was found and some of Jody's personal belongings were scattered across the ground. Residents of the apartment complex said they heard screams that morning, and a neighbor reported seeing a white van with its lights on and engine running in the parking lot. Jody's family hired a private investigator, and they worked with many television shows, including America's Most Wanted, Unsolved Mysteries, and 2020, in their efforts to find their daughter. Even though hundreds of volunteers have conducted searches, and authorities have interviewed over a thousand people with potential information, none of the leads have panned out. Someone came forward just in the last couple of weeks claiming that they destroyed evidence in Jody's case right after she disappeared out of fear for their own safety. Now, there may be others like that with information and they're tired of living with the knowledge that they have. If you're a person that has that knowledge and you're just so tired of carrying that burden, please check the show notes for contact information that will allow you to stop living with that knowledge that you've kept to yourself all these years. Our last case today is one that I'll admit I wasn't familiar with. Patricia Adkins was last seen on June 29, 2001 as she was leaving her job at the Honda of America plant in Marysville, Ohio. Shortly before her disappearance, she'd left her daughter with some relatives, but she never returned to pick her up and friends and family don't believe she would ever do that voluntarily. Patty told friends she was planning to go on a vacation with her very married boyfriend, but no one in her family has heard from her since. On July 8 of 2001, Patty's sister, Marcia, reported her missing. Authorities say that since then, there's been no activity on any of her financial accounts. Patty even made an appointment to have her hair done once she got back from her trip that doesn't sound like someone who is planning on voluntarily disappearing. Patty's 5'8", weighs about 120 pounds and has brownish blonde hair. She has hazel eyes, pierced ears, and a pierced belly button. She has a tattoo of a bluish-green flower across her lower back. Police said that they suspected foul play, and even though no body's been found, Patty has been declared legally dead. The Crime Junkie podcast featured Patty's case in 2019 and America's Most Wanted has featured her case as well as the investigation discovery show disappeared. Police searched the home of that very married boyfriend that Patty was supposed to have planned the vacation with. They found things that suggested a closer relationship than he would admit to, but nothing to tie him to her disappearance. Just like all of our featured cases today, somebody knows what happened to Patty. Please check the show notes for contact information to tell what you know if you are that person. Our Bible verse today is from Amos chapter 5 verse 24, and I'm reading the Contemporary English Version translation. But let justice and fairness flow like a river that never runs dry. Through the prophet Amos, God was rebuking the people of Israel because they were committing injustices against people. The very same type of injustices that God had just rescued them from. He pointed out how they're careful to perform all of the religious rituals, but they ignore the real needs of the people around them. Amos says that to truly worship God will transform the way we treat others. Justice and fairness require us to take some action when it's in our power to do so. So how do we do that? Obviously, for people who have information about a crime, Not just the ones we've talked about today, but any crime. You need to come forward with what you know. I get it. I get that that can be scary. But you can tell authorities what you know without giving your name. Or you can do what that anonymous tipster did in Libby and Abby's case. Give the information to a podcaster. You can email me or message me on social media if you want to. And I will promise you that I will pass that information along. Be that person of impact. For these families today. Now, if you're someone that doesn't have any direct information, you can still make an incredible difference. Remember when I mentioned a website had been set up for Jody Husentrout? It was phenomenal. And if you're someone that has the skills to set up web pages or maybe to maintain something or to monitor comments, whatever, whatever it is that you can do, maybe you could start something for your area, missing persons or unsolved murders in your town, your county, your region. Families need help so desperately and not all of them have the know-how or the resources to be able to do things like this. So if that's in your wheelhouse, if you've got that skill set, that would be a great way for you to be a person of impact. Be sure you check out the show notes. I've got more information on all of these cases and contact information if you know anything at all that might help get all of these women and their families the justice that they deserve. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex and the artwork is by Shelby Hyland. See you all next time.